This episode of the Supply Chain Brain podcast is supported by Trax Technologies. For more than two decades, a provider of software and services for logistics performance management. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the company with Trax CEO Don Baptiste. But now, on to the podcast. Can small companies handle the challenge of big data? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Companies today are inundated with data from their supply chain partners. It's valuable stuff, but the age of big data presents a big problem for smaller organizations. How to access, clean up, and analyze all of that information in a cost-effective manner. Most simply can't match the resources of multinationals in carrying out those tasks. Today, I'm speaking with Don Baptiste, CEO of Trax Technologies, to discuss how smaller companies can level the playing field when it comes to managing critical data. We'll learn how to sort out valuable information from noise, and how companies can even begin to get their arms around the challenge of efficient data cleansing and the use of sophisticated analytics to manage 21st century supply chains. So here is my conversation with Don Baptiste. Don Baptiste, welcome to the program. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me. Don, what is the dilemma that smaller companies face today in trying to use uh, analytics and data in their supply chains? Well, Bob, I think, first of all, they want to get the same value, the same type of value that big companies have been getting for years and using big data to help optimize their supply chain and hopefully do it in a more cost-effective manner. I think the big issue that they faced was those tools, those services were cost-prohibitive. So because the size of their logistics spend wasn't as big as some of these large global organizations, the ROI wasn't there. They still knew there was value to be captured, but because the base they were going off of was slower, the tools that people typically use to capture that value were out of reach for them. Well, where do the large companies have an advantage? Is it a question of more people, more expensive IT, or a combination of the two, or what? It's a little bit of all of the above. Initially, it's probably people. They're throwing bodies at a problem because they understand the value is so high that if they solve that problem, the value captured will more than offset the cost of those people. Then they tech-enable those people, so they make an investment in IT. Then they eventually put uh, hard systems in place. And usually, you have vendors come in that want to provide a standard solution that's going to get them 95% of what a custom solution could be and over time gives them more than what a custom solution could be because they're looking at issues across a variety of clients and it gives them more insight to the potential solutions for problems. Now, those solutions start out expensive and you see this across industries. This isn't unique to supply chain, 
but the cost comes down over time. And I think you're starting to see that in some of the supply chain solutions that are allowing companies, you know, go from the big global companies to large regionals and now to smaller regionals where they can afford those same types of tools, maybe with a limited capacity, but it allows them to capture value and optimize their supply chain, just like the big guys have been doing for years. But at the same time, isn't it getting harder and harder to do with the advent of big data? There's just so much more data out there to deal with. Well, I think that's where some of these tools come in. They help you synthesize that data down and and get actionable insights out of it. Over time, you've seen processing power and storage power approaching zero. And you think about Amazon Web Services, for example, the the cost for someone to store things forever gets cheaper and cheaper. You know, when I, when I started out right out of college, I worked for a network integrator. And I remember that I remember we went from the 386 processor to the 486 and from the 486 to the Pentium. And at the Pentium, we said, my God, you'll, you'll the speed of this processor, no one would ever need something faster. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And, and a hard drive was 100 megabytes. So as you see those costs go down on computing power and storage, it makes big data, the size of that big data, less and less of an issue. So that means your overall price and the overall complexity that a small company can take on. So I do think the size of big data becomes less of an issue over time. And it means that a smaller company has much, much more opportunity to get that same leverage. Where are the biggest gaps, though? I mean, what kinds of data out there are is proving to be the most challenging, number one, to access in the first place, and number two, to make sure that it's clean and reliable? Yeah, well, I think, it, I think what you, you just said is, is a general truth. It's more about accessing the data, cleaning it, and structuring it than the analytics as far as your effort level. Uh, you know, I started my career after business school as a consultant, and often the analysis we did in terms of total effort on a project, the analysis was pretty small. It was getting the data that you need and cleaning and structuring it that took the time. So I think that still holds true generally within supply chain data. You have all kinds of, of different silos of it. It comes in from different places and different formats. And how do you put it into a, a, a unified data repository so that you can put the analytics on top of it? I think that still is the primary challenge. And I'm not sure that it is specific to any one or two data types. It feels like that's a pretty general challenge. You're talking about the sources of data. Where is it coming from? Is it coming from suppliers and vendors upstream, customers downstream? And of course, there's internal data too. I mean, can we nail down what type of data we're talking about here in terms of who is actually supplying it? Yeah, great question. It's all of the above would determine which data you want or what source you want is what's the end use you want to use it for. So for some of the things that you may say, look, I, I, well, I have the customer demand data and that might be helpful for certain use cases. You may not need it for others. In that case, you might need the vendor data on your, your transportation vendors or your warehousing data. It's really going to depend. What I'd recommend is that you start with one. You know, you want to prioritize your efforts. So start with what's going to have the biggest impact for you or, or address the biggest pain point and start with that data. Don't try to boil the ocean. You can get really bogged down if you try to do too much, but start with something that's small and manageable. Take that in, prove out the value, and then add on to it with adjacent data and start to expand out. Folks that try to start with everything, that, that's, a, that's a real recipe for disaster and really hard to do. 
Up to now, of course, we've been talking largely about the issue of structured data that comes from your vendors, comes from your suppliers, comes directly from your customers. But now we have the issue of unstructured data, social media intruding and providing us with a whole other wealth of data. Is that part of the challenge as well as you see it? And how can that be kind of folded in to the structured data sources and managed as well? Well, I think that the unstructured is going to be less of an issue for most of the things we're talking about in supply chain. So if you think about the transportation piece, the warehousing piece, any of your supplier stuff, that's typically going to be structured data or, or at least some degree of structure. When you start talking about the demand and going further out to sensing the market, then the unstructured data becomes extremely important. And what you want to try to do is overlay some structure so you can make sense of it. Getting a Twitter feed that gives you some insight into the way that potential clients are viewing your products or your services is extremely valuable, but you've got to have a way of synthesizing it down. And that's typically going to need some sort of structure on top of it. But I think for the most part, the supply chain data, when you talk about the meat and potatoes of supply chain data, it's going to be the structured kind. Well, let's talk about dirty data, so-called. How serious is the problem? Yeah. Uh, and uh, why is it a problem? Where does dirty data come from? And then uh, how can it be addressed? Yeah, so that is a big problem. Your analysis can only be as good as your data is. I think that's a universal truth. And, and we can just talk about a few easy examples. And I don't think, you know, no one wants to create it, but it's coming from a number of areas. And a lot of it is just things like, using different abbreviations for names or categorizing things differently. So there's no bad intent, but if you don't have an overall view, you know, an individual could be doing something one way and their colleague in a different part of the organization could be, be doing it a different way. And that's going to make your analysis not very actionable because you won't see, you won't get a real version of the truth. But it's things like geonormalization, making sure you have all the city names spelled correctly so that you want to roll your lanes up. You're getting a true view of the lane and you're not getting two lanes from Phoenix because one's spelled one way and another one's misspelled commonly. So there, there's some mapping that says, let me just do all the aliases that map back to a single category or make sure that when I'm talking about a specific service level, I'm using the same abbreviation or the same naming convention so that when I go to, because a lot of it's going to be roll-ups. I'm going to roll up and see things in, in, in big buckets. If you don't have that data correct, it makes it really hard. I guess the old adage, garbage in, garbage out, still applies, does it not? I mean, you can't do anything until you've cleansed the so-called dirty data, until you have data upon which you can really rely. Yeah, I think it does apply. And I guess that the challenge that folks face and, and what the goal is, is say, well, how much can I do to clean that data up? And the technology and the tools and the intelligence are getting better and better. So you can clean more and more of it up and get it to the right state with a high degree of confidence. Making that decision to say, I'm going to clean this piece of data up so I think I can get it right versus I'm going to leave this one alone because I really either I don't have confidence I can correct it appropriately is a tough one. We see it where if a field is blank in an EDI field, uh, so EDI stream, do you want to try and fix that and fill it in? So if I have the zip code in the state, can I fill in the city? Most likely, most likely you can. But if I'm missing the zip code in the state, I probably want to stay away from trying to figure out the city. So doing those, you know, using some human intelligence, and some common sense 
to say, what can we fix? And what do we have to go back to the supplier of that data and say, I'm not exactly sure what you mean here. And I need some more clarity. Okay, you're talking about some basic blocking and tackling there in terms of cleaning up the data. But once you have clean data, then it's a question of what to do with it. And I guess the answer today is sophisticated analytics. But sometimes that term can be a little bit vague, and it's hard to understand exactly what it means. What is analytics today to you in today's context? What does it mean? Yeah, so, so first let's go back to your earlier point on the, on the basic blocking and tackling. Easy to say, maybe straightforward, not necessarily easy to execute all the time. So it's, so it's I don't want to trivialize when people do it. It's, it's still is a big deal and you get a lot of value out of it. On the analytics, I'm not so sure you need to start with sophisticated. I think it's a journey and you want to start with the basics and build upon that because you can get, a, you want to get value all the entire time. So each step of the process that you're going down, as you start to utilize analytics more and more, you want to get value each step of the way and not necessarily wait till you have a super sophisticated system. So I just want to stress the point that people can start out with the basics and get a lot done. And the basics might mean just getting visibility. So seeing I've, I've collected this data, I've cleaned it up. Now I want to just get visibility. Maybe I'm going to see things that I've never seen before. Then I can go to some basic comparisons. You know, I can start ranking things. Who are my biggest carriers? What are my biggest lanes? Where's most of my cost centered? Then I can start comparing things. Why does this cost per kilo higher than that one? Things of that nature. And that type of insight is gonna, is gonna help to inform decisions on can I make shifts in whether it be service levels or carriers or providers where I'm gonna be able to save money and, and potentially optimize my operations. But at some point, sophisticated analytics do come into the picture. Algorithms, things like that, must be deployed in a way that perhaps they haven't up to this point in the supply chain, right? Sure. And I think what's going to happen as you, as you build out more of the basics, they will lead you to the areas where you need to use higher levels of sophistication and where the basics aren't getting the job done. Then you start getting into a different set of tools, a different way of thinking about the problem. I heard you use a shocking term a little, a few couple of minutes ago. I think you said common sense, uh, which yeah. implies the involvement of human beings in this whole process. Do you believe that people still have a role when it comes to sophisticated IT solutions, analytics, automation, artificial intelligence? That we're still of some use in this in this way. Oh, absolutely! Look, the two go hand in hand. You want to make sure when you spit out an answer. It makes sense. I'll give you an example, and this goes back to my consulting days. We were doing some really sophisticated analytics, and we had a PhD in mathematics doing a multivariate regression for some, some pricing study. And the person sent us the analysis and said, here's the recommendation. And we said, that's a negative number for a price. <laughs> and the person said, yeah, well, that's what the algorithm spit out. Well, like, but we can't charge someone negative. Like there was no common sense along that. That is an impossible recommendation. So we had to go back to the drawing board and start fresh. Th that's why you need some human intelligence to say, well, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever for recommendation. What are we doing wrong? How is the algorithm incorrect? How can we tweak it or adjust it to get to something that we drive real insight versus uh, a theoretical answer? Okay, then circling back to that original question, smaller companies versus larger companies, do you believe, yes or no, is the field level today? Not yet. Happening, though. How long will it take? Less time than people would think. These things typically move pretty fast. So uh, I think over the next few years, you will see 
the sort of minimum size to leverage these solutions gets smaller and smaller. And it will just be on a continuum that, that every quarter or so the bar will drop and a whole new set of companies will have access. And again, I define access and can they afford it? The price will drop where it makes sense for them from an ROI standpoint to start using more of these tools. And for them, we talked about that, that journey. For them, the low-hanging fruit is typically all going to be there. They'll be able to get value with not the most sophisticated tools, but sort of some of the entry-level ones. Let's talk about Trax Technologies. Give me kind of a capsule history of the company, would you? Sure. Trax Technologies was started about 20 years ago and really started out as a consulting firm. And over the past few years, we've been making the transition to a software company. At our heart, what we do is we help our clients optimize logistics spend. And through that, we really help the entire logistics ecosystem become more efficient and effective. And hopefully identifying opportunities for our clients for savings, as well as improving their underlying data. At the end of the day, if the data is not good, the insights you derive from it are going to be suspect. Well, what was the original need, do you believe? What was the hole that you felt needed to be filled that made tracks viable in the marketplace? Well, it started out as a traditional freight audit and payment company. And we've been doing that for, for 20 years. We've become better and better at it. And over time, started doing much more around data refinement and cleaning up the data because without that very solid foundation of good, normalized, clean data, you really can't get solid insights. And one of the nice derivatives from freight audit and payment for us was the ability to create business intelligence tools. And that helped us move from for traditional freight audit and payment, where we're looking at avoiding leaks, to logistics performance management and looking to optimize logistics spend. How do you assess the current ability of companies in general to get hold of their freight spend, their audit and payment programs, and utilize that data in a larger sense that you've described? There are some um, companies out there doing it, but it seems like there's a lot that haven't managed it as well. Is that correct? First and foremost, you want to start with the data. That's always going to be the foundation of everything. And so you want to look at, for the things that you want to get out of freight audit and payment or out of business intelligence, do you have the right data sets already in place? So it's one, identifying, do I have all the right things, whether it's origin and destination, service level, you name it. You want to make sure you have those underlying pieces. And then are you receiving them in a consistent manner and are they normalized? Because the only way you can really drive those great insights is having that fantastic data. And so for us, it's been a nice outcropping of freight audit and payment. It gives us a vehicle to clean the data, to work with carriers to improve gaps in their data quality, uh, which is also helpful back to them. And then we can layer on the business intelligence and help people do a better job with logistics performance management. And that's things like identifying savings opportunities from service level changes, from consolidation of shipments, things of that nature. And we want to do it on an automated basis where others might do it on a one-off consulting basis. Do you think the problem is getting more complex these days with the increasing globalization of supply chains, the additional number of partners, the increasing realization of companies that they need to focus more on risk management with their suppliers and with their financial – the financial aspect of the supply chain? Is it becoming more of a challenge? Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head with the complexity. As supply chains become more complicated, that drives tougher problems around data integrity. 
and companies doing some really sophisticated, neat things with their supply chains, becoming much more global, becoming faster, using more specialty carriers for different pieces of it. All those things are great and give you a more flexible, more capable supply chain, but it also adds to the data integrity problem. And I think that's one of the, one of the areas that we've done pretty well at. Our client base tends to be a sophisticated global client base. So we've got a track record and a history of wrestling with some of these more difficult problems and getting to a good outcome when it comes to data quality. And let me tell you, it's, it's not a trivial task, but it's one that I think we're, we're pretty well suited to handle. Tell me more about what you mean by business intelligence. What type of intelligence and how can it be applied to the organization going forward? Sure. Well, the first thing we think about business intelligence is just pure visibility. Give me visibility to my supply chain end to end. And as simple as that sounds, many folks are lacking that visibility. Then once I have visibility, I may want to look at discovery. Can I find everything that I want to find within my supply chain? Then the last piece is help me make better decisions within my supply chain. So I'm seeing great visibility. I can do what-if scenarios. I can see where there's opportunities to consolidate shipments. I can see opportunities where maybe I can go to a lower price carrier or change service levels. I can see what amount of my spend is contracted versus not contracted. All those things that give me the fact base to make better decisions. And when you start talking about a global, sophisticated, complicated supply chain, you really need a solid fact base where you could make decisions that have a negative impact on your overall performance. So have you, in fact, seen some of your own customers go back and take this information and use it to change or revise in some way their carrier bases, add carriers, subtract carriers, consolidate spend, make better use of their spend in general? Sure. We see significant improvements in as, as far as the amount of spend that our clients need to put towards their overall logistics footprint. All this information helps you. Now, it's not, we're not talking about any one thing, but it's as you look and you add up, do I avoid leaks by having tight freight audit policies? Yes, and you save three, four points there. Can I optimize the type of spend that I'm doing? And that's the logistics performance management. We see clients make real, real advances there and save significant amounts of money while improving the performance that they're receiving. So we see it all the time from our clients, and I think we've got a few case studies out that, that talk in specifics about individual clients that have been able to move the needle quite substantially. What would you say is the biggest challenge that your clients face going forward, and how might tracks be positioned to address those challenges? I think you talked about it earlier. It's really the global complexity. As supply chains get more and more complex, it gets harder and harder to have full visibility into all the moving pieces and to get a fact base to make good decisions. I think that's an area where we shine. We help people see their end-to-end supply chain. We give them the tools that they need to make those fact-based decisions. Complexity is great. Sophistication is great. If you can control it, if you have full transparency and visibility into it, if not, you start to see those costs escalate and you start to see a performance fall apart. We want to arm our clients with the best information possible and the best tools possible so they can make the best decisions. They're always going to have the the deep, deep insight of their particular circumstance, their particular environment. We're never going to be able to replace that. But you want to augment everything they have so they can make those, those good decisions and put their domain experience to best use. Don Baptiste, I want to thank you so much for telling us a little bit about the story of Trax Technologies. Thanks for being with us. Bob, thanks for having me. 
That was my conversation with Don Baptiste of Trax Technologies, talking about how smaller companies can manage the flow of big data. Our thanks to Trax for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.